you know, with technology and particularly those those kinds of things, you know, there is, you know, there is a question of, oh wow, you know where I've been, or you know who I've been <laughs> around, and you know, right. and, and you know, and those are just some of the the built-in sensitivities that you know that you have to honor, you know, and some people are very uncomfortable about providing that kind of, you know, intimate. Uh, insight into their their personal lives and and professional lives. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things ORAU through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, how we're impacting an ever-changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Good morning, Jenna. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Michael? I'm doing great, thanks. We have a really interesting topic um, this episode related to all things COVID-19, which the entire world has been talking about. It seems like forever now, but you know. Uh, five months anyway. Um, we're going to be talking about in this episode contra- contact tracing, if I can say that correctly. Yeah, five times fast, Michael. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> contact tracing. Yep. With us today, we have Freddie Gray, Julie Crumley, Rachel Vasconis, and Jennifer Burnett from our um, PH, our health communications marketing team. And they're going to tell us really quickly who they are, and then we're going to jump in with some questions. So, Freddie, Freddie, I'll let you start, if you don't mind. Tell us who you are and what you do. Sure, no problem. Thank you, and thank you for for asking us to do this. So, good morning, everybody. My name is Freddie Gray, and uh, like Michael said, I'm the director of our health preparedness and health communications uh, and response programs within the health energy and the environment program. I've been at ORU for about 27 years, and our program um, supports our work with uh, CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, in identifying and trying to look for ways to mitigate the surge of patients on the healthcare system. Thank you, sir. Julie? Sure. This is Julie Crumley, and I have been with ORU for about eight years and focus on evaluation and assessments in particular of late for um, public health, um, healthcare emergency and response activities. And um, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Rachel? Good morning, I'm Rachel Vasquez. I am a project manager at ORU and um, I'm happy to be here. I've worked in public health and been at ORU for um, 11 years. Thank you for being here. And last but not least, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer Burnett here. I'm also a project manager at ORU. I have a background in public health and started working in public health preparedness and response back in 2013, um, particularly with a focus in medical countermeasures. So excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we're very glad to have the four of you with us today um, talking about a really important issue that's that we're hearing a lot about, certainly in the news, but is very important from a public health perspective. We're talking about contact tracing. Um, as states have begun 
the process of reopening for business, we're hearing quite a bit about contract contact tracing. Um, tell us what contact tracing is. Thanks for that question, Michael. This is Rachel. That's a very important question. Um, basically, public health professionals um, try to um, use um, science and data to protect their health of their communities. So contact tracing is a piece of that. Um, it's a process, of course, that makes an attempt to identify people who have an infectious disease or an exposure to a, an infectious disease, such as COVID-19, and then con uses um, resources um, to contact that person and then find out all the people that person has come into contact with over the period that, that they, main, they maintain um, they are infectious. So um, using that information, they help isolate those people. That's the basic framework of contact tracing. In the context of sort of reopening businesses and ag government agencies and allowing um, some of the social distancing requirements to be um, lifted or adjusted as things are moving forward. Why is contact tracing so important, particularly right now? Contact tracing is key to being able to, first of all, identify who has been exposed and then use that information to identify people that that person might have come in contact to so you can isolate those people so that they don't spread um, the disease farther. So we know um, with COVID-19 that there is a large uh, proportion of people who are asymptomatic, who don't have um, signs and symptoms of the disease. So contact tracing would help um, identify people and, and ask them to isolate. So if they are symptomatic or they do have symptoms, that they don't spread it throughout the community. Now, our, meaning ORU and, and the group that we have on, what is um, our experience and expertise in contact tracing? How does it relate to ORU? We at ORU uh, take a, a whole system approach. Um, we really feel like we have the capabilities to, first of all, help find people who can do contact tracing and then help train those people to be able to perform the functions because contact tracing is not just finding people and identifying and their contacts, but it's more like being culturally sensitive and you have to know some of um, the medical um, background and be able to speak about those things. And then, um, you know, being um, sensitive because this is, um, you know, if you're telling somebody they may be exposed to a disease, there are some sensitivity issues. So um, at ORU, I think that we really have the capability to help in all those areas. This is Jennifer. I would jump into that too. Um, you know, even in smaller outbreaks in communities, like for instance, a meningitis outbreak at a college, there's so many complexities with contact tracing that it's not just contact tracing that you have to look at. It's it's the whole system and everything that's involved in responding to what's going on. Um, and that's something that ORU, you know, has a lot of past experience with communities and states and local um, officials to help figure out the best path forward 
um, for those types of responses. So the work of contact tracing requires a lot of hands to do the work. And you mentioned very briefly about finding people to do that. How do we go about that process of how do we find those people to do the contact tracing? You know, when, when you're talking about responding to a public health emergency or any kind of emergency, um, there's all kind of levels of skill sets that you might bring into the emergency from um, volunteers who are just interested in handing out water or um, doing whatever they can to help to much more specialized individuals who are doing um, epidemiology work and running the response at a higher level, things like that. So with contact tracing, um, one of the, I think, biggest barriers, particularly because we have um, an estimated you know, 100,000 plus contact tracers needed across the country, is that it, it can't just be necessarily that person that's handing out the water. Um, you need a little bit more of a specialized skill set. And there are a couple you know, tiers or levels um, of skill set that might be needed. And ORU has a background in working with um, universities and other groups across the country to place uh, specialized skills depending on what the uh, company or you know federal agency is looking for. So we, we have a good mechanism for that that we think we can help place some of these people um, and get them the kind of skill sets that they need. Um, we have a Xenolex system, we have certified recruiters. Um, our Xenolex system is all encompassing as far as being able to recruit, manage, and, and coordinate those individuals as well. Awesome. Um, and then, of course, once you have the people, once you find them, they have to be trained. What does that, that training piece look like? Training, I think one of the biggest things, you know, it's not just going to be some off-the-shelf training that's going to work for um, every community. Uh, when you think about community, we're not just talking, you know, a local small community. It could be... Um, we may be talking about different states or even the contact tracing approach is going to be different across different countries. Uh, so one of the biggest things we look at with training is trying to make sure it's unique and tailored and specialized to what that community needs. Um, particularly if you look at, you know, there will be different approaches for a rural or frontier town compared to an urban city. Um, they're going to have different technology access, they're going to have social distancing requirements, their environments are different. Um, so taking all of those things into account when we're looking at developing a training that's really going to be useful and effective for the people who are in, in those environments. We thought about that. That's really interesting. The thought of really the training has to be, and really the contact tracing itself is going to be tailored depending on where you are, what the environment is, what social distancing requirements look like. Um, I imagine that makes it so much more difficult too, you know, having to tailor it to each individual area. Right, and Rachel mentioned, I think it was Rachel mentioned earlier, um, and Rachel, you could talk a little more about this, the, um, you know, people that you're, you're dealing with as well, there's um, all these 
nuances and people are scared and you have to remember that they're individuals too so there's that whole component as well that needs to be trained and um you know you have to go in there understanding that you have to work with compassion and and it's not just drilling down a checklist that kind of thing so there's a level of empathy involved as well definitely you need um to keep mind of what if you were in this position, how would you like to be approached with this issue? So, you know, having the interpersonal and cultural sensitivity skills and um, be really good at empathy and, and um, communicating while maintaining your, your empathy is really important. How long can the, the period of contact tracing last? Is there a I suppose it depends on the situation, but is there a beginning point and an end point? Does it depend on the numbers of cases that are, you know, still being determined? All of that, all of that kind of information. Contact tracing is, as I said, it was a process. So um, you kind of have to look at how your community is doing and see is the health of your community is, are the cases decreasing. And then we've seen uh, throughout the world, um, some countries have relaxed um, uh, so, uh, shelter in place restrictions and then cases have emerged again. So you really have to look at what, how your community is doing before you can decide if there's a start or an end. That makes perfect sense. So how can we, being ORU, how can we help public health officials analyze their data, capture lessons learned, um, all of the important things that go along with contact tracing and what happens next. And I guess ultimately making decisions about continuing to move forward and reducing social distancing requirements and that sort of thing. This is Julia, I'll, I'll uh, start on that one. So, you know, I think that evaluation and the assessment, that's really something that occurs throughout the cycle of activities. So not just at the end, but really starts at the beginning, um, really during the planning phase. And so, you know, all the way through the response and recovery and, you know, just, just like a cycle. So, you know, essentially that might look like evaluation wise, like needs assessments, um, assessing plans and capabilities, process evaluations, how well are a variety of activities, um, being implemented, um, outcome evaluations, how well are they doing? Um, and then improvement and you know, quality improvement and then repeat. So, you know, I think that for contact tracing in particular, uh, it looks at things like how well did a variety of activities happen? So be it the training that we spoke about, um, the actual contact tracing efforts, you know, different individuals and staff and looking at how well activities are happening um, to assess group facilities or, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, individual households, um, you know, things of that nature, different populations, like somewhat um, Rachel was speaking to with the cultural um, aspects. And then the analysis, so it's the surveillance and analysis and sort of, a, you know, being able to identify what is working well and what maybe need needs some adjusting, adjusting and you know, things, activities changing up a little bit to improve abilities to do contact tracing 
and to improve the time that it takes to do that um, so that we can reduce the spread. Awesome. So there's obviously there's a lot that we're looking at to make those very important decisions. Um, if you were making a pitch to a local, a state, a federal government official about our contact tracing capabilities and our ability to help them out, what would you tell them? Hey, Michael, this is Freddie. I can I can jump in on that one, and then other people can chime in. I think I think this is really um, a fascinating question because first off, I tell them thanks. I tell them public health people, thank you. They're doing an outstanding job in a very challenging and difficult environment. You know, it, it's, it's the differences between preparing for an event and actually living in the event. So, you know, preparedness is basically like Julie and others alluded to, you know, you look at to develop your plans. How am I going to approach this potential activity or event? And then I need to train people to identify their roles so that they know what the expectation and what their role would be during an event. And if there's not an event go on, you kind of create this simulated exercise or an activity that kind of gives you a, a fake event, so to speak, so that you can test to make sure that the plans are, are accurate um, and that they can be achievable and that people understand their role. And then as those are going on, you evaluate the success of that or opportunities to improve those plans. And then you make the changes based on the assessment and evaluation. And if you make changes to the plan, you have to retrain people to now what their new role is and what the plan is going to cover. And in order to effectively look to see if that's going to work, you retest it with another fictitious scenario you retrain, you know, you reevaluate, you, you retrain. So it's this cycle. What we're dealing with today is our, our air quote simulated event is an actual real response with real consequences that are immediate. And that's what makes things so different in a response, particularly one like this, where you can't see it, there's not any vaccination, there's not any really medical countermeasures, and there's a high rate of exposure and infection. And so it makes it challenging because in a, in a preparedness arena, you have time to make those changes and incorporate and talk through it and strategize and, and you know, identify the obstacles and gaps and come up with you know, innovative solutions. Here, you gotta do it you know, kind of by the fly in some senses right. if the plans are not in place. And so that's what makes this such a big challenging uh, um, event. And, and so we're grateful to public health because they're, they're really doing a phenomenal job. And I think it was somebody, Jennifer, I think it said, you know, we're, we're I think there's supposedly roughly around 25, 2,600 contact tracers around the United States. And to elevate that to 100,000 plus, oh my gosh, you know, that, that just demonstrates the level of effort that's needed in order to get their hands around who's been potentially exposed, how you remove them kind of and put them in quarantine, so to speak, until we make sure they're not going to be, they're not infectious and not going to be um, 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 exposing other people. Um, so it's really a big, big challenge. 
it is a big challenge and that's a lot of people to ramp up in pretty short order. Absolutely. This is Jennifer. Um, just to tag off of that, I, I've had a few conversations with uh, former colleagues that I, I worked with in Oregon and um, I really think, you know, you say pitch, but, but really, like Freddie said, they're all still in the middle of the response. They're working really hard. Um, what we're looking to do is just have genuine conversations with them, ask genuine questions about what they really need and, and could use help with. You know, we, we can um, estimate and, and do our research and all of that to, you know, determine what we think they may need help with. But what it comes down to is really talking to them about what's going on in their state or their community um, and figuring out the best way to, to support them. And that's one of the, I think, strong things about ORU's capabilities is that we have that ability um, and a strong history of working with stakeholders and um, all different types of groups within the community to kind of bring that together and determine the, the best path forward. I'll just mention really quickly, and this doesn't really tie in, but um, I think we'd be remiss not to mention the talk about, you know, smartphone contact tracing and apps. I know that's a, a big method that's being discussed to try to utilize technology for contact tracing and, and just going back to everything we talked about, that's absolutely a mechanism that can help support us, but there's so much more to contact tracing and, and all of the, the things that go into that and the wider response, you know, keeping in mind that more holistic approach that, that just asking someone to hit some buttons on a smartphone isn't going to be enough to turn the tide in what, in what we're looking for. Right. That whole area is fascinating. Um, just the idea of something that you carry with you every day could be helpful in, you know, making those connections of who you've been around, who may have been exposed or is, is you know, has tested positive, that sort of thing, so. It definitely is, it's an, and it's, it's not particularly new per se either, um, or you did some work um, a while back on the, you know, text messaging protocols for uh, other types of public health emergencies, basically follow-ups to medical countermeasures and making sure people are um, getting the countermeasures that they need if they have to go back and have, you know, more than one vaccine, uh, all of those things. So it's, it's not necessarily a new concept in place now where technology can really potentially support those mechanisms um, to help public health do what they need to do. Right. And Michael, and Michael, this yeah. is Freddie. I think, I think that that in and of itself makes this this an increased challenge because, you know, with technology and particularly those those kinds of things, you know, there is, you know, there is a question of, oh wow, you know where I've been or you know who I've been <laughs> around, and you know, right. and, and you know, and those are just some of the the built-in sensitivities that you know, that you have to honor, you know, and some people are very uncomfortable about providing that kind of, you know, intimate uh, insight into their, their personal lives and, and professional lives. And so, and then some, some communities, you know, it, it may be kind of challenging for us to see kind of, 
you know, in Oak Ridge and, and so surrounding Oak, Knoxville and everything. But there are multiple, multiple counties and states that are more from a rural or a frontier that, you know, the technology is just not available to the degree that it's available here as well. So you've got a lot of complex issues that you just got to, it's not a one size fits all, so to speak. Sure. That makes perfect sense. I know we could talk about this particular issue a lot more, um, but I want to thank you all for helping us better understand what contact tracing is, how it works, all that kind of goes into it, because as we've said, it's a very complicated and complex issue. Um, and we have folks right on our staff who have the capability and understanding of, of how all of that works. So thank you all for sharing your knowledge about this topic with us. And thank you for being with us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU, and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.